This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network. Hey guys, this is Gilmy again. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day in London this morning. It is raining. We can't have beautiful weather all the time, but it is summer. It's a lovely rain and I'm just waiting to go back to work after two weeks on vacation. I kind of took the month of August off guys because I needed a break and I I'm back. September, I have some amazing guests lined up for you. More interviews, more more shows coming at you, more panels. Um, I'm going to announce this here. We just got accepted to London Comic Con, my hometown panel. I did Fan Expo, and then I'm doing my hometown con. I'm excited about all of that. It's so much fun fun doing these panels at cons. I get to meet meet you guys. I get to meet some very cool, interesting people. And that's what this show is all about. I did record the entire panel from Fan Expo. You guys get to uh, listen listen to it. I'm very excited that I get to record these things. So you guys get to hear them after. And if you are in the London area, come out and see me. Uh, I will have the panel when. I don't know. Have, haven't got a con- well, confirmation on the time yet. But I will be there. And this time they're giving us a whole 90 minutes. So that's very cool. I just want to say a big thank you to Curtis Rich Cannon and Brian Rich Cannon for being on the panel with me. And as well as George Mackay, all from the OIW Network. Go check out OIWPodcastNetwork.com. Check out their shows. Personally, I, I love them all. And it was just fun doing a panel with Curtis and Ed, and Ed, and Ed George. And Brian was there 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 as well and brian had the best laugh of his life on the panel but you gotta listen and find out why so couple things here go check out doing fine kitchens if you are in london coming to see me at at the con on the 17th or 18th of september go check out my favorite restaurant in the city if you are looking for that gift for that special someone that is unique beautiful and one of a kind, go check out batsinthebelfryart.com. And don't forget, Ghost Jewels. Use that promo code GILMY if you like like kind of darker, got more gothic jewelry stuff. I personally, I'm a ring guy. I'm a bracelet guy. I love, love, love the stuff there. I got the Thor wristband uh jewelry piece i don't know what the exact name for it but i absolutely love it i'm a watch guy so i always got to have something on 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 my wrist and i like to just switch it up make it cool and i will talk to you guys on the back half so welcome to our japanese wrestling panel or wrestling in japan we did this panel at anime north and it was quite well so we thought we would uh do it again so uh to my right is uh, Justin or Gilmy Talks. He runs a uh, podcast network called the OIW Podcast Network, which has over 25 shows. Every single one of us is actually on the network here. And as well as a show called Gilmy Talks, which is currently recording uh, right now. So you guys will actually be on his show uh, 
for all your questions later. And to my left is George from Straight Talk Wrestling and also MLW Rewind. And he's also a commentator for New Frontier Pro Wrestling, which will be at the Rock Pile this Sunday. So if you guys are uh, at Tobacco and you want to come check out some awesome wrestling, uh, come to New Frontier. It's always a great time. And uh, next to Justin is my lovely fiance, uh, Brian Cannon. Uh, no, husband. Husband. No. husband. I'm so. Husband. I had to remind him that he had a husband now. I, Creature of habit. We've been, we've been, we were engaged for like three years. I'm just so used to it. Sorry, oh my husband. God. My husband, <laughs> Brian Rich Cannon. There you go. Round of applause. There we go. I'm still waking up. I'm sorry. Round of applause because he actually got it right this oh. time. Didn't say fiance. Oh, oh, so that's okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Gilmy, if you want to uh, yeah. start it off here, uh, where we want to start off. Okay. Well, first thing, well, let's just start up with who is on the screen here. That would be Giant Baba beside Andre the Giant. And in that photo, it actually looks like Baba is taller than, than Andre, which he, he would absolutely love, which he's not. He was only about six foot eight. He ran all Japan wrestling. And absolutely amazing promotion ran from 1970, 70 up until I'd say late 90s, early 2000s, and then it kind of tapered off, and that's when New Japan Pro Pro Wrestling really, really took off, and because they've they've been around since 1972. The first thing I found about Jap pro, Japanese professional wrestling guys was in 1880. Uh, Mat Matsuda said. I'm terrible with these names. I'm just going to be straight up. <laughs> Matsuda Sakudi uh, brought professional wrestling to Japan in 1880. It didn't really take off until the 1950s when Ricky Dozen, but Matsuda was the first Japanese professional wrestler. He traveled all over North America. He traveled all over the world doing as the first Japanese wrestler, and he was feared and he was an absolute monster. Uh, I believe there's actually a, 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 actually a, a photo of him. Oh, nope. They're no. all out of order. <laughs> and that's the great Muda. That's not who I, I was. Because you guys know technology works great when you you have, you have, you have needed, eh? <laughs> but Matsuda was a very... He was a very old school, old school wrestler. He was very because back then it was catch, catches, catch can. It was all grappling. It was hours long, and he was just absolutely terrifying to people in the 18, 18, 1880s. And then, uh, yeah, after uh, that would probably be New Japan Pro. Obviously, started nineteen seventy two by Antonio Inoki. Uh, that's, in my opinion, that's where Japanese wrestling kind of really developed its style, strong style where everything came forward. I mean, Inoki had classic matches with a lot of talents uh, that we know, Tiger Jeet Singh, um, Hulk Hogan, Stan Henson, Andre the Giant, Big Van Vader, fought all over the world before developing New Japan Pro in 72. Now, the cool thing about Inoki is that he also kind of developed or is the grandfather of Strong Style, which if anybody follows modern pro wrestling today, which I'm sure most of you do, big names like obviously Shitsuke Nakamura, not the Nakamura that we've seen in WWE, Nakamura well before WWE. We can all be honest about that. Dancing around with a fiddle and having Zayn like jump around like a like a member of his posse is not really what Nakamura is known no, for. But if you go back through any archives or any YouTube clips, you can find who Nakamura really was for a very long time. 
But Inoki, uh, he also was pretty uh, big for that festival that was put on in 95 in North Korea. Uh, drew about 190,000 fans. And that featured a lot of great matchups and uh, very timeless. Uh, that match was actually against Carl Gotch was one of those matches, and it's a fantastic match. I don't know if there's too much footage on that match. I think you'll find clips here and there. If you want to hurt your eyes, by all means, because it's not going to be high definition or 4K that you're used to. But, um, yeah, Anoki really uh, developed the Japanese style. He also had a great mind for the business. A lot of people don't really recognize or resonate with the mind that he had for the business. But being a fighter from all over the world, he really took a lot of different styles and implemented what we know as strong style. There's a lot of jiu-jitsu in there. There's a lot of mixed martial arts in there. Strong style is the closest form to, I guess, I would say tie in with the MMA or UFC world that wrestling has to offer. And a lot of the stuff in Japan is still happening now is very much strong style, where it's not just a slap on the thigh or a hit on the chest. When they hit you, you feel it. You feel it in the 5,000 seats up at the top of any stadium in Japan. So that's, that's kind of my tidbit on that. Yeah, and strong style from Japanese wrestling guys is a huge part of it. And even on, on the Ontario indie scene, if you look up guys like Tarek, he is one of the strong, strong style guys who wrestles locally here. You can see the influence of Japanese wrestling pretty much wherever, wherever wrestling is now. Even like, like even bringing the gaijins over, over to Japan started in the 80s with, actually even, even before that, they've been bringing foreigners in. And imagine seeing Hulk Hogan in the mid 80s wrestling Anoki or somebody else and he was doing strong style hits he was doing that's yeah no, no. <laughs> these are not in order I'm just kind of like clicking them as you talk okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind the don't mind the screen yeah um it's throwing me off because Minoru Suzuki is a whole topic unto himself he's one of my personal favorites but imagine watching the WWE character style in the 80s and then you see him in Japan doing insiguris he is doing doing cartwheels in the ring he is actually doing palm drop and this and the fire up and everything else and it just when foreign wrestlers go to Japan they pretty much have to step it up to keep up keep up keep up with the uh, with all the talent there and that's the unfortunate part about it right the unfortunate part is is that a lot of these guys find themselves they develop their characters they become more of who they are in Japan and then when they do get the opportunity or as some people would say the opportunity to come in the North American side of stuff they lose themselves for example Finn Balor we talk about Finn Balor in New Japan till the cows come home. We talk about Finn Balor here. Uh, other than his NXT run, I would probably say most of you would agree with that his main roster run has been utterly forgettable. Should we agree? I think we can definitely agree. So the fact is, is that when these guys cut their teeth, they develop themselves in the Japanese style. They get the opportunity to come over here. It's like, oh, kid, you're coming to the big show. Cool. We're gonna we're gonna put you. Uh, just happy to be there. We're just gonna make you happy to be there. We're gonna give you a couple of shitty title runs. We're gonna let you hold the championship for a day until you unfortunately injure yourself, and then never give you a rematch. Yeah, and uh, thank, thank, thank God that Vince McMahon is now happily retired. Of course, hush money did hush money situation did help. We can't talk about that here though. We're not supposed to. Yeah, that's against uh, code of conduct. <laughs> but back to Prince Devitt, I would actually say he, in the, in my opinion, he is probably the number one most decorated gaijin wrestler out there. He has held every New Japan title except for 
the main title. Yep. He's won the G1 m- multiple times. He's won the trios, the tag teams. He's won the junior, the junior heavyweight title. He has won everything because in up until very recently, if you were his 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 size, you were not getting the uh, you were not a heavyweight champ. He helped create he helped create one of the most notable factions of all time too with the ball club and everything. So well, he didn't. Uh, I That's why I to, said help. Yeah, he, he, was, he, didn't he was kind create, of one of those to helped. put it to the forefront. But let's yeah. talk about let's talk about Bullet Club for yeah, a second yeah. because. You talk about a long-standing faction. Bullet Club is pushing close to 17 or 18 years in existence. A faction that's done it right. Had multiple members, multiple leaders, but kept itself moderately current as opposed to what we know here as being, I guess, the biggest faction that we would have had would have been DX, but again, only a five or six-member faction, and NWO, which had multiple factions, then multiple sub-factions, and sub-factions of sub-factions, then a, another sub-faction, then a Latino sub-faction, then we got into racial profiling and all that stuff, and then the NWO died. But yeah. that, was, that was the problem, right? I mean, you look at the Bullet Club, the Bullet Club always keeps itself at its core, eight to 10 members maximum. You look at any version of the Bullet Club, it was always in that eight to 10 range. But then you look at the original run of the NWO, I mean, Six was there, then the next week he was DX as X-Pac. Then you look at, um, well, they brought in guys like Stevie Ray. They brought in a couple of like, arbitrary names that didn't make any sense, which is why NWO kind of imploded in itself, which makes Bullet Club kind of the grandfather faction in a lot of ways because it kept itself current, always bringing in reoccurring members. And there wasn't just a fight for leadership. It was always a fight to take over within itself. I don't see you as a good leader. We're going to do a kind of a, uh, a monarchy or whatever you want to say, or whatever the, the word I'm looking for is, and we're going to kick you out and put somebody in. But it was always a way to have the battle within itself, but keep the faction together, yeah. which, which is the reason why Japanese wrestling is so highly regarded in a lot of parts of the world. And again, you look at two guys in that picture, Doc Dallas, Carl Anderson, arguably one of the best tag teams in New Japan history. They come over here and they're saying nerd on TV. Yeah. It's a, it's a big juxtaposition about what these guys do. And even when they have their second or their third runs, they're not the same wrestler that we see in Japan. In a lot of ways, Japan, like I said, the gloves are off. The, the best thing about their run in WWE was Southpaw Regional Wrestling, and that was it. Yeah, or, or they started the, uh, what was it, the OC Club? Yeah, the OC, but the, 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 even that, that didn't really last long. That kind of fizzled out as well. Yeah, it fizzled like, out it with just, the Boneyard match pretty yeah, much. Yeah, no, like once the Boneyard match happened, they just were gone. Like the whole faction was gone, and then next thing you know, they were released like months later. Well, that was the start of the major yeah. like overhaul of releases, right? <laughs> yeah. But we could see a breath of fresh air coming in to the North American style, and there are a lot of promotions that are underrated here. I mean, when a lot of wrestling fans talk, they talk about obviously WWE because you can't talk pro wrestling here in North America without mentioning WWE. We'd arguably make no sense. And then you've got the upstart in AEW, which has its bright spots, but also has a lot of work to do. Uh, if Tony Khan could ever get his head up from the Coke on the table. You got ROH for the hardcore. Yeah, you got ROH, well, it's not really ROH well, anymore. It's not yeah. the ROH that yeah, we not, know. Yeah, not anymore. And then you've got like Impact Wrestling, who's been kind of holding its own within the top five because there aren't really arguably that many promotions, big promotions in North America. But that's why, you know, when it goes to New Japan, you've got options, or when it goes to Japanese wrestling, you've got options of New Japan, and you've got op- uh, options of uh, All Japan. But though, And Dragon's Gate. Dragon's Gate's another really great promotion oh, out there that Dragon's doesn't get a lot of credit. But Dragon Gate is more of the very, very gloves off stipulation matches. They do a lot of those things. And, and again, too, like going back to guys like Prince Devitt, 
The high flying that we love to see here, the oh my God moments as everybody puts to get the huge pop out of the crowd, a lot of that was innovated by those body types over there. Yep. And it just sucks that there's not a lot of credit given to that side. And it also sucks that we can't have more workings together. I mean, there's a slice of the pie for everybody if it's done right. But a lot of times, as we know in the wrestling business, egos, <laughs> egos get the best of it. And it's unfortunate. And there's also guys like uh, Chase Owens, who has been a fantastic wrestler his entire run in Japan. Honestly, I think he is one of the most underrated talents on that roster right right now and i think he's finally getting his uh, ado well okay. you can't uh, walk around calling yourself the crown jewel without eventually getting some gold on you right oh, yeah. it doesn't make any sense wait and you 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 actually interviewed chase right i did yeah he's yeah. one of the uh if you go back through the archives on available on all audio podcast platforms got interviews with chase owens on there got interviews with a lot of the uh uh, some old school WWF legends, uh, Al Snow, arguably one of my favorite ones. That guy's got a great mind for the business, just never really, again, got over. I mean, his, his one character did, but there's so many more layers to him as well. And that's the frustrating part, is when one character gets over, but there's layers of who these wrestlers are and how well they can perform. They're just stifled creatively. And that's what makes it, in a lot of ways, hard to watch the new modern day program. Which is why the network is still so successful because I don't want to watch any of the new shit. I'm gonna go back to like ninety seven, oh, yeah. ninety eight. Like it, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to when it was pop culture bigger than it is now. But also there was a lot of mess in the Attitude Era as well. As, as much as we remember the Attitude Era being fond, well, that, we remember fondly. But there was a disaster upon disasters, and I'm not just talking sexual harassment charges. I'm oh, not just, talking the play There's so much. Now. There's so there's much just of everything. Bad booking and all around. That's when you could really see egos flourish. But I love the fact that there's there's places like the network where we can actually go and watch those archives. Like I love that I can pull up 97 to 98 and literally watch Raw and SmackDown by the week and going right into the pay-per-views because yeah, you get that retrospe retrospective of what modern wrestling is comparison to what uh, what old school like Attitude Era, which I do agree to. It's not just the sexual themes. There's a lot, a lot wrong with the Attitude Era and why. Uh, I believe that would never, ever fly. <laughs> in, well, yeah, for example, day. since we're talking about Japanese to tie in, Steve Blackman. Yeah. Steve Blackman arguably had one of the best runs <sighs> in New Japan history. He comes over here, he's walking around with a kendo stick. That's not all he's known for. But again, when a guy comes to WWE, there's the five, there's the five move rule. I don't know, has anybody ever heard the five move rule? It's very simple. Every wrestler has five moves that they can do. Two power moves, three build up moves, and that's it. They're all capped. And the only time a wrestler is allowed to do a move outside of the five-move rule is when they force it out during a match. For example, Kevin Owens was never allowed to do the cannonball, the cannonball move he does into the bottom rope where he literally flips over and shoves his back into the guy's face. Wasn't allowed to do it here. Forced it out in his first match in NXT with Sami Zayn. Now it's part of his five-move rule. You can do it, but not as hard as you used to do it. Yeah. So the five-move rule really caps a lot of guys. Hopefully with the new, I guess, change of the guard, that will change. Triple H kinds of allow a little bit more looseness in the matches and the storytelling, but nothing really compares to everything that New Japan's offering. And it, it sucks that a lot of us can't really watch it full out because I don't know about you guys, but I want to be up at four in the morning watching Wrestle Kingdom. I'm tired. I'll just catch the afternoon replay. But it, it, when you do watch it, you do enjoy a lot of what you see on there. And you can see that the wrestlers over there have a lot more freedom and there's not so much restrictions 
and it's then a, there are it, and it's a shame too because then you get guys like Kenta that come over here and they're they're capped like you said or they they have that glass ceiling where they're not either not getting booked properly or they have that five moves of doom where they they can't do what they were doing in Japan and then when they go back to Japan it's just like it's a breath of fresh air watching well, them again. Look at uh, Suzuki when he came over. Oh John God. Moxley AEW booked him poorly. Impact let him have a great match with Josh Alexander, but it was a one-off. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a match that was was on a Thursday on an Impact, and it should not have been. No, that 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 match that I recommend you guys go 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 check out that match from Impact. Josh Alexander versus Minoru Suzuki. Josh is a homegrown talent. He's actually from here, and he's currently the Impact champ. And he actually had one of my favorite matches that Minoru Suzuki that I've watched in years because I'm a huge fan of his. But now he's turned, yes, he is the most dangerous man in New Japan, but they changed him more into a character guy now, which he is getting older. He is 50 something years old now. And he's just so good still. And he can be absolutely, he's absolutely amazing. Then there's also, when AEW started, um, the exodus happened. New Japan lost their number one tag team, the Young Bucks. They lost Kenny Omega, and they also lost Shinsuke Nakamura to WWE. So they lost their four best performers in one go. So they had, told, had to totally rebuild it. Yeah, there's the there's the there's the bucks. Uh, they had to totally re rebuild New Japan, and I think now it's actually better than 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 ever because the United Empire is here now. You like Will Osprey pretty much is the number one gaijin in New Japan. Great 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 Okan and and Cobb is it's a fantastic faction. They work really really well well together. They've been on AEW. They've been on on Impact, and that's the thing that I really enjoy about the, for, the Forbidden Door being open now. And just because they can go and go anywhere now, AEW guys are going to Japan, J J J the Japanese guys are finally coming over here and getting the credit they're actually, they're a they actually deserve. Like the ace, Tanahashi, had a match on AEW and that Finally, people are seeing how good the ace truly is. And he's the guy who carried New Japan Pro on his back through the lean years in the 90s when wrestling wasn't the most popular thing thing in, in Japan at that time. Because, yeah, right there, the ace. Um, <laughs> and with all these factions coming up, you always have somebody watching your back in Japanese wrestling. That's the reason why the factions exist, so they can continue doing the six-man tags and making the storyline just go forward with so many people being used at the same the same same time. Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. There's a no, mic right there for you, buddy. Anytime. Go over to the microphone. Yeah. Um, I hear the sort of '90s kind of downfall, in, or not downfall, but lack of popularity in Japanese wrestling, and Jake Mulligan specifically mentioned a lot, and the time she carried that through. But I don't really know how that happened. Like I've never really looked into it. So I was wondering, like, what 
happened in Japan either one to make the wrestling kind of take a downturn um, and also yeah. how did it take an upswing? Can I can I feel this one for a second? Yeah, go, go, go. So there's always an influx in wrestling. Um, again, you look at North American wrestling just to kind of give you a, a, a time map. 98 to 2001, 2002, arguably pop culture. Every kid was telling their teachers to suck it. Every kid was getting suspended. Every kid was broad shopping. Every kid was doing all that stuff because that was just it. You would go to school on a Tuesday. Did you watch Monday Night Raw? No, nah, bro. My parents would let me watch it. Oh, cool. You leave. This conversation is not for you. But... <clears throat> Then it had its downflux where we get into the attitude error and it kind of trickled down. Or sorry, we get into the aggression, ruthless aggression error, and it kind of trickled down. So there's always a turnaround point where things trickle down. The reason why the influx in the 90s happened was because everything was so popular here and the schedule for a lot of wrestlers picked up that the freedom to go over there as often as they wanted to wasn't. So it was hard to develop or bring over big names to Japan at the time because they were so booked up over here with the heavy schedules that they were going. I mean, you got to remember, a lot of these guys from the 70s to the 90s, the schedule is a lot more lax now, but 330 days was the rule of thumb. You had literally 35 days off a year, if you were lucky. And that spread out over the year, not just all at one chunk. Like, if you got a month off and had to work for 11 months, I can see that maybe being, okay, I can handle that. But we're talking a day here, fly out for six shows, go back for a day, so forth and so on. So the influx happened in Japan at that time, but it's actually a great thing to happen because that's when indie guys were allowed to go over. That's when indie guys went over, cut their teeth. That's when we got to see guys like Kenny Omega, guys like those develop and come up. So even though it was an influx or a downturn, as you as you mentioned, uh, which was a great point, it was also a changing of the guard where we got to see this. And all, the same thing kind of happened a couple of years ago in WWE where they got that outbreak of injuries. Everybody was getting hurt. Then we got to see the bigger names or the NXT guys kind of come up and cut their teeth and become more main event roster players. Not to the way we would have liked most of them to come, but they did come up at that point because everybody was so injury prone. I mean, fuck, at that one point, uh, Seth Rollins was out. Yeah. Everybody was out with an injury of some kind, and it was a sustainable injury, not just for a week or two. We're talking like big-time injuries that were keeping a lot of these guys out for months. So the influx in the 90s was a bad thing for Japan, almost like a recession, if you would, in the Japanese wrestling style, but it helped bring up these new names that are now household names. And I would say that um, even when AEW started, to go back to that point too, losing Kenny Omega was a hard thing. But I mean, I never saw the, the, the markability in the Bucks, and I still don't. I think there are way better tag teams out there in Japan than the Bucks. So I think when they left, they actually did New Japan a favor, in my honest opinion. And when they, when, since they've come here, they've been nothing to be... They remind me of a modern-day rockers, except their hairlines are still intact. <laughs> oh, and, one, and one of them is not Marty Jannetty. So we can all agree on that. And I just wanted to bring up this photo. This is the only photo of Matsuda from, I believe it was 1898. This photo was, this photo was uh, taken. So there is a photo of the first Japanese wrestler ever. I just, I, I just wanted to uh, uh, show it because that's history right there in that, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, photo. That man actually created an art form in his home country that has spread all over all over the world and i think he just does does don't mind me i'm in charge oh. Oh. Just, just a quick note you guys need to end exactly at 45. okay yeah perfect all right thanks yeah, thank you beautiful okay <laughs> <laughs> and but sorry i lost my uh lost my uh, place <laughs> 
There was the Exodus, the Rebuild, the Forbidden, for, forbidden Door, and they were just, the problem with doing a panel like this, there was just so much information. There's wiki To cram in 45 minutes is, is, a little, is a lot harder than you realize <laughs> when, you, when you're actually sitting up here. Um, but if you guys I'm have having a, a great time, I don't know what you yeah. got to do. I'm having a great time too. If you guys have any questions though, feel free to, to stand up near the yeah, microphone please. and yeah, come on, man. please go like, go ahead. Like, yeah, the relationship between Japanese pro wrestling and say the shoot fighting and shoot wrestling, I got some videos from the mid nineties. Pancrest. And yeah, wrestlers, American and Japanese and Canadian compete in a show wrestling and then they would go to do a shoot fighting match for real. How do the politics work between those? How do you know when it's like choreographed and not? A lot of the matches at that time period that you're speaking of were semi-choreographed, but they would call a lot of it in the ring. So there was, the beginning was set up, the middle was set up, and the end was set up. But they would call in the ring. Now back in that time period, there was also something called receipts. You do a move wrong or you fuck up, you're gonna get a receipt. And a receipt is usually when it's a real shot. And you can always tell when it's a real shot. The only relevant time period now would be Paige. Paige in her early NXT run, she gave a lot of people receipts. A lot of people. And you would see the welts and the stuff to prove it. So it was, uh, again, it was an influx where the shoe fighting was real, but there was a lot of, how do I put it? Um, you ever see the movie Fight Club? I'm sure a lot of people have never seen the movie Fight Club. The movie Fight Club actually came from a lot of what we were speaking of, and a lot of it was not talked about. So. There was stuff in the ring where it was shoot fighting that it became real. And then there would still be, you know, dude, I don't like what you did in the ring there. Cool. Meet me out in the parking lot at one in the morning when nobody's around and we'll do it for real. But we don't talk about it. So a lot of that did happen over there. There's just not any viable proof. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories or not because that's not what we're about. I mean, Curtis might want to get into that. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. But the fact of the matter remains is that um, you can always tell when a fight goes real. Like when two guys genuinely hate each other or two girls genuinely hate each other, you know it. Like... For example, I guess the, the most recent feud in memory that I could see where things got real would be Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Again, not really real in the WWE context, but where a lot of the curtain was pulled back. And the problem with nowadays is that the curtain is fully open. There's really no pulling back between everything that you can read in the wrestling pages to whatever it is. A lot of it is real, and they tend to build that off the storyline. But you can tell, if you go back to any of the matches that they had before Becky went away to have her kid, there was a lot of heat there. And coming back, the belt drop in the ring, the infamous belt drop from the end of last year, those were real moments where it spoiled over. So you can always tell, I mean, wrestling, it, there is that fine line. They do walk that fine line between reality and fiction. But you can always tell when the reality does spill over into the fiction. And it's unfortunate because sometimes they do it really well, sometimes they do it horribly. But in those, in those moments that you're talking about, a lot of those shoot fights were just botches or fuck-ups in the ring that receipts were cashed in or receipts were held over until after the match was over. I hope that answers your question. And then there's also... Oh, yeah. Yeah. There how, is how the story of Chris Jericho coming the pain maker. One of, this is the thing that really got me back into watching Japanese wrestling is when Jericho sold out the Tokyo Dome to have that match with Kenny Omega. That is still one of my all-time favorite matches. I've watched it, I'd say a dozen times at, at least now because just the st absolute storytelling from beginning to end was absolutely amazing. It's, 
I genuinely think Jericho going to Japan reinvigorated his entire career. It, like, he is still fighting for the AEW championship, and I, he's what, 51, 52 now? Well, I mean, he did interviews with Chris Van Vliet where he was just literally saying that, like, New Japan reinvigorated his career because when he first jumped over there, he was still, he got the blessing of Vince McMahon and everything, and he was still trying to keep a good relationship with everything, and then... I think he said it was the Jericho cruise when he tried to get NXT on there and NXT was just like, no, he just kind of like, I'm better than WWE. Like I could do better than what they're giving me. And he's just been proving it for the last few years, just either through New Japan or AEW or just everywhere that he is. Um, he's just constantly reinventing himself every single time. And not, not only doing that, but just doing it, like just putting on really good matches. So it's just... He's, he's been really fun to watch in Japan and like yourself, yeah. kind of got me back into Japan because there was a time where I just couldn't keep up with it. And um, I did, I, I don't remember exactly what made me drop. I just kind of just stopped watching for a while. And it was guys like Jericho and everything that just made me start become a fan of it again. And now I can't get enough of New Japan. So it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. And I agree with you. There's, and with New Japan Pro Wrestling, there is, they have, the wrestlers have this rule about the red light on. They always go harder when they're being filmed. So you're going to see the hardest mat hitting matches in on TV, where if you are to see, 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 see them live, it's much, it's not a lighter style in any way, shape, or form, but they're not literally leaving the huge welts on, on them every single night because they're respectful and they do on average four to five shows a week. So they have to keep themselves in their shape. There's also going all the way down to the young, the young lions and how you get trained up in Japan. It is totally, totally different than what you would do here. Here you would go on Google, look up an, an independent wrestling school like there's some amazing ones in this uh, province and like Ham Hamilton Pro there's the you got to start out at the very very bottom there you live you live eat and breathe wrestling to become a Japanese wrestler it's very much i would compare it to the sumo sumo as uh, sumo style where you you live in in a dojo you wrestle 7 days a days a week there are no days off you are just constantly working out, you wrestling. Clean, you clean and take apart and put together a ring, and yeah. like it, you, you pay your dues. So it's just yeah. like it's. It's like, uh, Juice Robinson was a guy who went from NXT over to to New Japan Pro. He didn't want to take the easy route and go, "Hey, I got a name for TV." No, he cut his hair. He went as a young boy, wore the black trunks. If you know who Juice Robinson is, you know he's a very flamboyant, colorful, fantastic wrestler. But he went, went back and started from scratch because he believed that he could be a better wrestler doing this. And now outside WWE, he is one of my personal favorites for to watch because he's so much fun. He now has the North American style under his belt mm -hmm. as well as the Japanese style. And he is probably just so under He's under under a a appreciated I well I think guys because he just one of those guys that I think flies under the radar 
and in two to three years, I have, I, I, I can see him being the New Japan heavyweight champ. I, I can see that. I do. Once, he, once again, I know he's not everyone's favorite. <laughs> well, uh, we got a little bit of time. If anyone else has any questions, please feel free to join the mic. Like, we'll answer anything here. Like, uh, we, we have at least 10 minutes here, so. Yep. Um, I was wondering about Matsuda, also just because generally, like, I know a vague amount about the origin of wrestling in North America, but in Japan it's always been a bit more vague to me because I understand the origins of the carnival culture, etc. here, but that seems very foreign to generally Japan as far as I'm aware. So I was just wondering, like, I, I, is it Matsuda that brought it over? Because I know that somebody was in America and, like, so rock, so rock, Rakichi Matsuda. He came from. He's <laughs> checking his notes. Yeah. <laughs> it just Matsuda. There is, like, all this is just on Matsuda alone. Oh jeez. Like my first five 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 pages are how he traveled the world. I. I really recommend looking that guy up. His story is absolutely interesting. He worked with some of the original heavyweight champions in North America and worked on their catch and catch, worked on their styles, worked on everything with these guys. Uh, if you want to look up the name, it's S-O-R-A-K-I-C-H-I Matsuda, M-A-T-S-U-D-A, because I am probably botching the pronunciation of his first name. Oh, you definitely are. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I always do. I got a stutter, a lisp, and... That's I why I said I take an okie, because it's easy to pronounce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does uh, anyone else have any questions? Feel free to... Dr. Feel free to step up the yes. Oh, I love that. Hey, guys. Just wanted to get your opinion as to who you consider to be, like, historically the best Japanese wrestler, as well as current day the best Japanese wrestler. Uh, same question for guidance, like North American, British, anywhere else. Uh, I mean, for me, again, there's, there's, I don't really find anybody current right now that's really blowing my mind away. Uh, Anoki will always be, best there is, was, will ever be in my eyes. Uh, he really redeveloped and redefined what wrestling is over there and through the strong style stuff. Uh, early Shinsuke Nakamura, again, before anything he's done North American side of the border, uh, would be who it is for me. Uh, British-wise, uh, I'd have to say Tyler Bate. Uh, Tyler Bate is one of those guys that's for some reason underrated, but he's always in the mix. Uh, Pete Dunne, or Butch, before he became Butch. Butch. Uh, he was really great, especially in the, uh, the UK tournament where they crowned the first ever UK champion, which now NXT UK is folded because they're doing NXT Europe. So we're going to get to see... A lot of mishmash of different styles over there, especially I'm looking forward to seeing what they bring in from Germany, especially because oh, I know that the the German town over there, those guys, those guys and girls hit Will different. Osprey. They hit different uh, for sure. Excellent. And I guess right now, I mean, right now the juxtaposition is I mean, everybody has their favorites. I mean, I I'm probably gonna get heat for this one, but all time for me, uh, North American wise, yeah, Triple H, even when he was a blue blood. Okay, even when he did the curtsy and all that crap, I still was all in on that guy, terrorizing. Whole nine yards for me is one of my top five. And currently now I'd have to say uh, Darby Allen. Darby Allen has oh, just Darby Allen's so good. Darby Allen has that it factor for me where uh, he could do anything. Like the first promo he ever cut in AEW when he was just sliding down that dirt road on the skateboard, pulled up the skateboard, just had the name of his first opponent, and then went shh. 
I was just like, holy fuck. Like, I'm all in. I want to paint my half my face and walk around all emo and shit. Like, I'm totally in. Dar- Darby's amazing. Yeah. Darby Allen's really good. Uh, best Japanese wrestler of all time for me would be Ricky Chosen. Um, in the 1950s, Lou Fez went specifically to wrestle him. The best of North America went to Japan at that time to learn from him, to wrestle him. He, and there's act, there's so much Ricky Chosen did over 25 years from wrestling Lou Fez up until the mid 70s when he kind of, kind of, kind of tapered out, out, out a little bit. Um, when New Japan Pro Wrestling started, that's kind of when he stopped because politics. Um, he did not like uh, or Anoki very much at all. So those guys did not get a, along well. Um, Will Ospreay is one of the best wrestlers on the planet. So good. I absolutely love his style because he has the high flying and the strong style and he works them both very, very well. Um, there is a match, Ricochet versus Will Ospreay that happened in New Japan Pro. One of my favorite matches of all time. At the time, people hated this match because it was so acrobatic and there was no real strong style hits. It was, I would put that as one of those, those matches you have to see. It just, Ricochet was amazing in, it was more, more, more a Dragon Gate guy, right? Well, well, well what was great was... Yeah, he cut his, he cut his teeth on Dragon yeah. Gate. Okay. Wasn't that match right after he just de- dealt with Lucha Underground and getting out of that Prince Puma shit? Yep. So, like, he, he went right from that to having one of the best matches he's ever done with Will Ospreay. And, yeah, people hated that match just because of all the acrobatics. But, yeah, I was with you. I, I loved it. I loved every moment of that match. And uh, I've been a fan of Will. And always was a fan of Ricochet. It's just, um, yeah, Lucha Underground was something else. Go ahead, buddy. Um, so you were saying before how like AEW has like doing some things that are good, but they have a long way to go. Um, do you think that they're trying to be too much like WWE with like the the show part of it? Um, and like, what are some of the things you think that they they need to do? With I feel like they're prioritizing too much on attacking WWE or trying to. Be- I, I I feel like. Uh, that's a great question, by the way. I feel all great questions, by the way, today. I feel like um, AEW. Uh, I've said this before on my podcast a few times. Tony Tony Khan's the big orgasm guy. Yeah. Let's get the man. Let's get the huge pop, and then it's like, okay, what are we gonna do now? No plan. Are, how are we gonna How are we no gonna figure that out and book them? And they've oversaturated the roster very quickly. They went from being we're, we're gonna keep it minimalist. We're gonna keep. We're gonna really focus on. We're building gonna be within. the alternative. But yeah, we're gonna be the alternative. But yet, every time somebody got fired. It was like, huh, 90 days is up. Are we going to see them there? Oh, look, Alistair Black. No, wait, it's Malachi Black. It's the same character that WWE was developing right before he got cut. That's the exact same character, House of Black. That's exactly what they were going to do. And then they just pretty much stole the idea and ran with it, just changed the first name. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I feel like some of the booking that they've done, the long-term storytelling hasn't been bad. Like the Hangman Page stuff, uh, the build-up there was great, uh, minus the... I guess sub alcoholic storyline that they were doing yeah, there. I, I didn't weird. really understand that. Uh, I feel like they built Darby and MJF up really well. MJF controls the crowd and the mic. 
he's got everybody thinking that he's going to jump ship in 2024. He's not going anywhere. No. As long as AEW has their doors open, there's no way a guy who's allowed to have the gloves off will, will pay, go to a they place. They will pay him as much as they can they, to keep him. Well, but also, they why would he go to a place where he's going to creatively have no freedom? MJF doesn't thrive without creative freedom. So I would say the way they book some of their younger talent has been great, but the way they've told some of their storylines, it's a head wash. A lot of times you don't really understand what's happening. Like WWE, the one thing I could say is it's seamless. You can fall off for six months, go back and be like, oh, okay, they were building this guy up six months, so now he's kind of running shit now. Okay, I get it, cool. But I feel like AEW storytelling is much like the Attitude Era was. It's got all these, these great small little nuggets of moments, but then everything just kind of falters. Okay, we got time for probably one more here. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, we kind of focused mostly on like uh, female wrestling in Japan. I was wondering your uh, opinions on Joshi, especially like with kind of the rise of stardom and like uh, promotions like Cyber Fights putting a big emphasis on Tokyo Joshi Pro and like the way you've I'll, I'll, I'll add to take it. If that's yeah, 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 sure. I absolutely love the female Japanese talent. From when Asuka was going by Kana, Kana, Kana. Yeah, I'm not a not a a a hundred percent, but this is where the best female wrestlers go. Like Tony Storm, Storm did multiple tours. Basically, the entire. AEW roster is sorry the entire female AEW roster is from Japanese wrestling unless they are coming from WWE and check out stardom check out the other the other female pro emotion because even going back to like Aja Aja Kong and Medusa and all the way back to the 80s they have such a rich history of female wrestling before, before the the female wrestling revolution came to North America, they were doing it 20 years prior, and these women are absolutely amazing talents. They They're deserve amazing. your time. Yeah, they deserve yeah, your time. And honestly, just watch wrestling, like Japanese wrestling in general. It's yeah. so much different than what we get out here, and it's a great alternative. Uh, in just in comparison but guys thank you so much for coming to the panel today you've all been great all the questions have been great like seriously and i just want to want to say this quick if you want to listen to any of our shows go check out oiwpodcastnetwork.com that's where all of our links are there's about 20 20 of, of our shows from all over the world and two of us are also in the biggest wrestling podcast network in Europe, the Genres Podcasting Network. Yep. I recommend downloading that app because you will get you get all your wrestling shows. <laughs> we have authors on both. We have rappers on the Genres Network. It's an entire entire thing. Check it out. We yeah. we have some great shows on there. But seriously, you all have a great fan expo. Thank you so much for coming out. Yeah. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening all the way through, guys. And this is where I'm going to kind of talk about my fan expo experience because it was my first time there. Going to get the sponsors out out of the way on the back half. Doing fine kitchens. Go check them out. If you are in London, Ontario, if you're coming to see me at London London Com Comic Con, I fully recommend it. And you know what? Come up, see me. I'll give you the actual directions. 
if you want that special gift for that special someone, I really recommend BatsInTheBelfryArt.com. Go check them out. And Ghost Jewels, use the promo code GILMI. You get 30% off. I get 30% of the sale. Keeps the uh, lights on on the show. So go check them out. I just want to say thank you to Fan Expo for having us. Thanks to Curtis, Brian, and George for joining me. It was an adventure and a half. I'm just going to go into a little bit of the backstory now. Me and my kid James went down. We drove two hours, had some quality time, talked a lot on the way there and the way back. And he thinks I'm a crazy, crazy driver now because I was driving in Toronto traffic and you got to be a little bit crazy. Um, it took us, once we were in downtown Toronto, it took us about 45 minutes to find decent parking that I could get to because a lot of the streets were blocked off, construction, this, that, the other thing. Um, I did pay only $7 for parking, which was awesome. Um, 33 Young Street, guys, they have a two-layer parking lot. It's not really well-placed, well but that's kind of my secret go-to spot. Um, and just make sure you have a credit card. And I will let you guys guys know, walking from there to the convention center took all of 10 minutes. Uh, what I did, I because I didn't know at the time that my son could come in with me. Um, I dropped him off in the GA line. He went around, did his thing, and we met up a little bit later because he likes the anime stuff and I have no idea what that is. And I just wanted to get there, find out where my room is, get the con, figure, find uh, George, find Curtis. Met up with Curtis about 20 minutes before because he was doing his furry yoga thing outside. Next time I do a con, I'm going to be much more organized than this because I walked in. I had no idea how big this thing was like eight levels of like that's eight stories two separate buildings of in one convention it took you 45 minutes to get from one side of the building to the other side of the building they had rob they had freddy krueger there they had the hobbits the stream couple of the stranger things kids i think four or five of them um, a whole bunch of voice actors. It was a very cool time. I wish I had more more, more money to spend. Or the amount of money my son spent there. Oh my god. Uh, was introduced to a, ver a band I'm really digging. American Grime. Gonna try to get those guys on the show. Might happen, might not happen. It, who knows. But I, got, I didn't get to actually sit in on any panels. But took me about an hour and 15 minutes to find George. Because he was on one side, I was on the other side. I listened to security when they told me to go to the Fan uh, Expo exclusives for this and that. Because that's where George was. So, they directed me to the other side of the entire building. I went in, got our badges, got the, VI the VIP treatment, and then security just doesn't know where anything is. Uh, the volunteers for that were working with the convention did. They knew where to go, and since me and George have never been there before, we had no idea where we were. He was on level, he was on the Artist Alley vendors area, and I was in the vendors area by the meet and greets at the other side of the entire building, because that's where they sent me. Uh, that was very, very annoying. I, I'll be straight up, I pissed off George with uh, that, and... But it was all good once we found 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 each other, 
found Curtis and uh, Brian, found everybody, found where we needed to go because I was really pushing the uh, clock for uh, for myself. I'm like, okay, I got to be at this room at this time. We get to the room on time. I'm a little bit early. Uh, Curtis meets us after. George uh, George brought the the mini host 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 with him to see all of the Stranger Things people and meet Mark McKenney. Oh yeah, the kids in the hall were there too, which is very cool. The panel ahead of us showed a plate. I understand it was absolute chaos and stuff, but if you're a panelist, come hell or high water, you get there on time. I was there. 20 25 minutes early and i was told oh you're only going to have this much time you're only going to have uh this and i talked to them and said i'm here on time and that's it i want my time there's you're only going to have like eight minutes to set up i'm like all i gotta do is set up a mic curtis did his thing getting the slides going all the pictures which he had on his his email he just had to log into the computer there done I set up my mic to re record the show. Mike is there. We didn't get, uh, we got a couple videos of it, which was very cool. Uh, check out George Mackay's Facebook page, Straight Talk Wrestling. They're there. Um, I got no photos of me standing in front of the Fan Expo thing because I assumed my son would take some photos and he didn't. He forgot. Oh, well. But. I got some pictures from the side, which is very cool. And I got the recording, which is even cooler because I get to share my experience with you guys. And then we do the panel. We had a blast doing the panel, as as, as you heard. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it. And London Comic Con, I don't know which panel we're going to do. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, if you are going to Fan Expo, bring a lot of money and bring a lot comfortable shoes, guys. I wore my lucky shoes, which was a horrible idea. Don't, don't, don't go for uh, fashion. Go for comfort at these cons. And I just want to say thank you once again to Fan Expo for having us. Thank you to for my crew for doing these crazy panels and crazy adventures with with me. I truly appreciate it. And I will talk to you guys in in a few days, a week. I'm back. Gilmy Talks is back. Socials are, are going to be active, active again. Go follow me. And on your favorite podcast app, follow the show, leave reviews. It really helps because that gets me on the charts. And since I took a month off, you know what? My chart, chart name has went all the way down again. So I got to start from scratch. I've done it before. I'll do it again. You guys are still down downloading the shows. I'm still getting amazing numbers. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening to the show, for caring enough about what I say. And I just want to say thank you. You guys are the reason I, I keep doing this, why I keep pushing myself to do better. And if you want any Gilmy Talks merch, go check out my launch cart store in the description below. And if you want some funny podcasting shirts, go check out Ofenti Cities also in the write-up below. Thank you, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye, guys.